0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Scottish and Lawyers Association and an introduction to our Mental Health Matters podcast series. My name is Brian Ella. I'm a non-executive committee member and I currently work as an assistant solicitor on the Sheikou Bayou Public Inquiry.
1: Thanks Bree, Uh, my name is Marsley and I'm a non-executive committee member in the SYLA and
0: I'm a solicitor at Vincent Mason's. I'd like to begin by asking our speakers today to introduce themselves, their background, and what positions they hold within the Scotch and Lawyers Association. I'll start with Kiara.
2: Thanks, Bree. My name's Chiara Kiara Pieri. I'm a solicitor with Shepherd and Wedderburn, um, and my practice is in contentious construction. I'm currently the president of SYLA, um, and I've been on the committee for four years.
1: Hi,
3: I'm Layla Kennedy and I'm a second year trainee solicitor at the moment and soon to qualify in October, so counting down the days. Um, And I am currently the Vice President of the Scottish Young Lawyers Association. Hi everyone, my
4: name is Amna Ammon. I'm a solicitor at Kennedy's and also a non-executive committee member at the
0: SYLA. Thank you all for agreeing to participate in this discussion today. I'm excited to to get things going. Uh, before we begin, I just want to introduce the series. First by explaining why we've decided to, to start this series. Um, it's more along the lines of us wanting to just promote more awareness, openness, and transparency as it relates to mental health. Um, we want to help to make sure that we can destigmatize how we identify and approach mental health within the Scottish legal profession. You know, mental health is, it's always been important, especially given the past few years with the pandemics, We've all faced various adversities, and it's imperative to discuss the effects of a healthy mind. Mental health isn't one-dimensional. It encompasses our emotional and psychological well-being, which influences how we interact with the world, whether it relates to family, our friends, our work, um, and our interpersonal skills when it comes to making decisions. We want to create a safe platform to promote an open dialogue to discuss what's on the minds of young lawyers. So what are we hoping to explore in this series? I've always openly discussed mental health with other lawyers, young and old, and we can all agree that these issues affect us all, whether it relates to sleep and anxiety, trauma, burnout, imposter syndromes, toxic working cultures, or the effects of COVID. The list is non-exhaustive, and we'd like to invite our members to tell us what's on their mind as well. Today, we hope to keep the format of our inaugural podcast very informal, as we have an open conversation about the topic of imposter syndrome. Going forward, we'll introduce other speakers who have a background in psychology and law to offer their expertise on topics as we move through this series. So as I've said, our main focus is imposter syndrome. So I just wanna start off by asking our panelists, what is imposter syndrome? What is your understanding of it? I'll start off with Kiara.
2: Thanks, Brie. Um... I think for me, imposter syndrome is the feeling that you aren't good enough. Um, Like a feeling, the only way I could describe it is like, you don't deserve to be in the position that you're in and that one day someone might find that out. Um, I think it's something that many people struggle with, particularly those in the legal profession. And, you know, I question whether it's something that really ever goes away.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it affects us all, irrespective of where we are within our legal career, whether we're partners or trainees. Um, What about yourself, Um, Amina?
4: Thanks, Brie. Imposter syndrome, to me, it feels like the difficulty of internalising my achievements. You know, I tend to kind of feel that I don't belong or feel qualified to be in the space that I'm in.
0: Interesting you saying that because that's kind of uh, the same definition I have in my head, where you're kind of just trying to find your way, but you feel like you don't quite fit into a specific um, area, whether that is an area in law or just law in general. And just for a little bit of background, um, the term was first coined by psychologists in 1978. And obviously, that was a very long time ago, so it's not a new concept. Um, it's defined as anxiety or self-doubt that results from persistently undervaluing one's competence and active role in achieving success, while falsely attributing one's accomplishment to luck or external factors. So, you know, in simple terms, um, a persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved. Going back to what Kiara obviously said, um, it can affect anyone. It affects me on a daily basis. You know, there's no single reason for it. Um, but psychologists have looked into it and they think that it does tend to affect more people that are in high achieving family um or people where they're stereotypical where as amina said you're internalized stereotypes um so yeah it can it can cover quite a wide a wide range of things Um, and symptoms can include feeling as if you're inadequate you're you're going to be unmasked or revealed as a fraud or just having questions about your worth so yeah, I'm going to pass over now to Marseille, who's going to ask the next question.
1: Thanks, Brie. Uh, so really interesting to hear your different perspectives on how you view imposter syndrome. Um, and our next question would be, how common do you think it is um, for imposter syndrome uh, to occur uh, within the Scottish legal profession? So how many people do you think suffer from it? Um, so Leila, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think for, for me, certainly, it's, it has definitely been a recurring topic throughout actually a lot of our SYLA events um, and has been discussed quite frequently um, at the women in law seminars that we have and including by the likes of, of Lady Hill admitting to her herself feeling like she, you know, didn't deserve to be in the position that she was in. Um, I know that many of my friends in the Scottish legal profession do all kind of suffer from imposter syndrome, but just perhaps hold back on, on expressing how they're truly feeling. Um, and I do think as well, it, it does appear to be quite a prevalent um, point o- among people that, you know, perhaps want to take the leap to perhaps go to the bar or, or things like that. And um, so it's definitely seems to be a recurring issue across the legal profession.
1: Thanks very much, Leila. Yeah, I, is pretty comforting to hear that people like Lady Hale uh, have brought it up as something that they've experienced in their careers as well. Um, So according to one recent study in the Journal of Internal Medicine, uh, it's estimated that more than 70 to 80% of adults experience imposter syndrome at some time in their lives. Um, And this was also confirmed uh, by the International Journal of Behaviour Science. Uh, So in relation to law, a recent junior lawyers division report from the Law Society of England and Wales shows that 80% of young lawyers have at some point suffered from imposter syndrome, uh, with females below the age of 34 experiencing imposter syndrome at work more than men. Uh, So that's, you know, there's some interesting talking points there um, in terms of it being very prevalent among lawyers and also um, especially with females as well um, so if I hand back over to Brie um, for the next point
0: perfect thanks Marcy. Um, so the next question would be what has been your experience of imposter syndrome and how did you address or overcome it and were you able to identify that it actually was imposter syndrome um, I'll start with Amina for this one
4: Thanks Brie. I think I've suffered with imposter syndrome since high school Um, but at the time I don't really know what I was feeling but I remember having feelings of you know doubt and negative self-talk. You know I really wanted to study law but I didn't think I was smart enough or good enough to be a lawyer. Um, Again I don't know what I was feeling so I kind of just ignored it Um, and then it wasn't until I started my traineeship that I read an article on imposter syndrome and really able to resonate with it and I think from there on I was able to recognize how how I was feeling in terms of overcoming it I think I'd be lying to you you know if I said that I have because I definitely haven't, it's something that I suffer from, you know, every day, but I'm able to manage it more, because I can identify what I'm feeling, and then, you know, acknowledge and recognize my feelings, and why I feel that certain way.
0: Thanks, Amina. I think that's a good point, because um, I'm the same, as I've said before, I think it happens on a, on a daily basis, especially given the fact that I'm in a new job, within a new discipline is so not used to what um my usual course of business would be and um, so you do have those like questions that come into your head every so often um, and I, I would say for overcoming it I tend to go to my friend groups just for a little bit of um support to be honest because I've got a lot of friends that are that are solicitors uh, just to ask questions Has this this happened to you before? How do you kind of deal with it? Um, And uh, Kiara, would you like to butt in at all just to say how you're feeling about this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess in my position now, I've attended loads of events where imposter syndrome has been discussed and spoken about, but um, I remember the first time I heard someone talk about imposter syndrome. It was actually at my admissions ceremony. Um, Judge Shona Simon, who's the president, or was the president of the employment tribunal, she spoke about imposter syndrome and she said she still felt like an imposter, even at her stage in her, her career. Um, and I remember thinking at that point, oh, I I've, I've felt like that before and I'm not the only one who feels like that. And um, that was at my admission ceremony, so I'd gone through you know, my traineeship at that point and. And it wasn't until I got to the end of my traineeship that I realised the feelings that I'd had. Um, I did my traineeship at a niche kind of personal injury firm and then um, at the end of my traineeship felt like maybe there's another area of law out there for me that I've not tried but um, I didn't really pursue it to be honest. And I think, you know, knowing about imposter syndrome and what that is, that actually encouraged me to then go and take the leap and have a look about for new jobs, because I realised that I wasn't the only one and that maybe, you know, I was worthy of another position in a different area. Um, And I think, you know, speaking from my experience now, I'm a solicitor, I'm three years PQE, you know, I act as a supervisor um, within my team, and I'm currently the president of the SYLA. And I think, you know, even with time and experience, you still feel like an imposter, whether that's to clients or to colleagues. Um, There's definitely days where I worry that my clients will turn around to my boss and say that I shouldn't be dealing with a matter because I don't know what I'm doing. I've definitely had dreams or nightmares about it. Um, And I now know that what those feelings are, are, you know, symptoms of imposter syndrome. Um, And I guess just knowing that that's where they sit gives you a little bit of comfort. Um, I think it's in terms of how to address it, as I say, I'm definitely not at the point where I've overcome it, but things that help me are having a good legal support network. So um, I think for anyone listening, try and create a network, whether that's friends from uni, friends from diploma, Um, people who are doing their traineeship at the same time as you you know having people around you that you can just talk to about this kind of stuff really really helps um i appreciate that some people might not be in a position where they have a trainee group at their firm or they might not they might have moved city for their job so maybe they're not in touch with you know people from university anymore but there are loads of committees and associations out there and loads of places doing events. If you just have a little look, you know, even going to one or two of those events, you'll definitely meet new people. Um, I mean, Leila, you you created the Connecting Trainees and Students um, series that we now run. And that really was, you know, with the the purpose of trying to connect other trainees so that you know, they didn't feel alone. And I think that's really, really important. I think if I have a day where I think, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. The first thing I'll do is text the girls who I was on diploma with. Brianella, I was on um, diploma with you. And, you know, we will just turn to each other and say, listen to what happened to me. And that feels odd. And then as soon as you get a bit of encouragement from the girls, you're feeling absolutely fine again. So, yeah, I definitely think a a good support network is... um, you know, top of my list certainly to help you get over those feelings.
0: Thanks, Pierre. Yeah, I think definitely and and also, you know, having that sport network, whether it's just women sport and women or um whether it's just having a network of is it it makes such a difference, I think. Um interesting you mentioning the uh, connecting trainees there because I was gonna move on to to Layla just to see how she's feeling obviously being as a trainee and what kind of support you've had and, and, and how you've yeah. on that topic sorry <laughs>
3: Um. yeah I think I think for me it has been a bit of a, an odd time I know that there's other committee members um on SYLA that have had you know, to to learn, you know, by isolating really at home and um, not being able to just turn around to a colleague. And I think that itself can distance yourself from your colleagues and then make you feel perhaps when you do come into the office, like quite maybe inadequate in terms of you don't have the confidence to maybe perhaps, you know, pipe up and ask a question or to maybe in a a discussion, like join in. And I think that's something I'm very aware of trying to just you know take that leap of faith and, and put myself into that discussion a little bit more um, I think as well for for me like certainly like Amina I definitely had the had imposter syndrome stem really from thinking Oh no, I can't go and do law. Like it's, it's all the people that, you know, get, um, A's across the board and I'm not able to do that. Like I won't get those results or I'll need that results in order to, to have a career in law. And I think it certainly, you know, it still feels that I do suffer from imposter syndrome now because I mean, I'm now looking at NQ roles and things, and certainly when I was applying for positions, I thought, no, I can't apply to that firm, or I can't apply for that role. There's going to be other candidates, you know, much better than than me. But I think really similar to Chiara, I do just kind of touch base with friends and family and just think, why why is it? Do I feel like this? And then they kind of make you realise, actually. You've worked really hard and, and, you know, put confidence in you. And then it does actually help you to then make you feel adequate in that circumstances and think, no, I'm just going to go for it. I've got absolutely nothing to lose by, by taking this opportunity.
0: Thanks, so Lila. That that was really encouraging to hear. I think um, we've all had that experience of being in high school, where you kind of question where you're going, especially the emphasis that's placed on on hires and and what that can actually do for your future. So, um, I totally resonate with that. Um, I'm going to pass over down to Marseille for the next question.
1: Thanks very much, Brie. Um, so, uh, this question I suppose very much feeds into the previous one. Um but for our listeners I think it might be helpful um to hear if we have ever discussed openly the topic of imposter syndrome with our colleagues and do you think that it should be discussed more openly within the profession and then if so, you know, how should law firms go about this. Um so Alana can come to you first.
4: Yeah, of course. Um, I personally haven't really ever shared my feelings of imposter syndrome with um colleagues. I think that might be because it's really difficult to share a feeling that seems like only you're experiencing at the time. Um, You know, I think it might be easier for junior members of our profession to share their struggles with imposter syndrome if perhaps it was discussed by partners or senior associates, you know, if they're openly chatting and discussing with junior members of their staff about how they're feeling, then it may lead to trainees and NQ lawyers opening up to their struggles. Um, But yeah, I personally haven't opened up about imposter syndrome with my colleagues.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... haven't really had much of a discussion on it either. Um, I had one kind of eye-opening moment as a trainee um, where I was having a a very casual conversation uh, with a senior associate and they mentioned in passing that they've always had imposter syndrome kind of looming over them and it was at that moment I was like oh wait it's, you know, you can be post, you know, 10 years qualified and still feel it, um, which was definitely a bolstering moment for me. Um, but yeah, it's it doesn't sound like it's discussed openly enough within the profession at all. But um, Chiara, what have you, been your experiences? Because obviously you're a little bit more qualified now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have had a discussion with a colleague about it before, but funnily enough, the conversation was in anticipation of presenting um, at the at the at our annual Women in Law event, um, so she um, was an associate at the time, um, and is now a partner. Um, and she, we were just talking about it generally, and, and she told me that if you can't believe in yourself, then believe in others who do believe in you, and that was her kind of advice to me as to how to overcome imposter syndrome, and. I think she'd read it in a book or somewhere, but I really found that helpful. And I think what she meant by that is, you know, if you, you don't have to believe yourself that you are a good lawyer or that you're you're successful. But if other others are telling you that you are, and you're getting good feedback from clients and colleagues, then you should believe in them at least. Um, but I don't think I've I've had any other kind of open conversations about. Imposter syndrome, specifically, I do think that it should be talked about more. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, there's five of us on this podcast, and we are all saying that we felt that way. So we certainly can't be the only ones. Um, I think maybe law firms should consider making it a topic of training. You know, um, to make people aware that that it exists and that it's got a term and that you can really, you know, that there's others that you. Can relate to um, and another step would be probably just encouraging positive feedback i think um especially given that i am becoming more and more qualified and taking on a more supervisory role you know it's easy to give constructive uh, criticism but you almost need to force yourself to give someone positive feedback. Um, It's something that my boss is really good at doing, and so I kind of try to take a leaf out of his book. But, um, you know, feedback is definitely important, and that positive feedback should hopefully help someone feel like they are doing a good job and that, you know, they are in the right place and they should be there. Thanks very much, Cara.
1: I completely agree. Positive feedback, I don't think is something that people consider enough and it would definitely help I think yeah even from a personal perspective sometimes getting that oh yeah you did this really well obviously have a few points to improve on but in general it was really good and you can kind of latch onto that and it is a really good kind of backbone to stand on um and yeah in terms of training law firms um In recent years, the Law Society of Scotland has emphasised the important role that law firms can play in creating a culture that confronts imposter syndrome. So the Law Society has held training uh, to overcome imposter syndrome and it has released some journal articles on the topic. So we can link these after the podcast. Um, and we do have a few suggestions for firms as well on how they can help to tackle imposter syndrome and um, to highlight just a few, uh, they can acknowledge that imposter syndrome exists as a fundamental um, and it affects all ages, cultures and social groups um, and it stops people from bringing their full potential uh, to the table. Um, and firms can also create and foster a supportive environment that very much builds on what we we're talking about, about positive feedback. Um, they can facilitate training, support and pathways for progression uh, to help bolster confidence. And even just regularly checking in with teams um, and kind of creating reasonable standards. Um, and promoting and encouraging self care as well. I think that's definitely becoming more of a talking point in firms, but um, more could definitely be done. So Brie, if I can hand back over to you for our next point. Yes.
0: Yeah, so um, the next point is, is less of a question, but more a discussion along the lines of, you know, the impact of imposter syndrome on women and the inter- intersectionality of being a woman and being a woman that is minority ethnic. Um, as we've discussed before, you know, it affects, you know, any gender. However, research has indicated that it disproportionately affects women more than men. Um, and, you know, this, this these kind of effects can lead to self-doubt, which can be reflected in women leaving the profession unexpectedly or choosing not to seek promotion. Um, the next bit that I'm going to discuss is, is very much um, appropriate to my situation, you know. Because even though it's a, women are more susceptible, um, women of color, especially black women, are more at risk of imposter syndrome than any other group. Um, and you know for women of color, the self-doubt, the feelings that we, we don't belong in corporate spaces can be even more pronounced. Um, the intersectionality of not only being a woman, but being a woman of, but being a minority ethnic woman, can really lead to a sense of disbelief and lack in confidence. Um, and I can see from my experience, that's the case because I'm going into a profession that is very, you know, top heavy with, with men um, and specifically, you know, white men, it kind of puts you in a, in a position where you don't see yourself, you see yourself as being other rather than being the same or rather than fitting into a group. And that can definitely lead to you feeling as though you're alone on an island and perhaps you're, you know, they'll see you more as a fraud because you stick, you stand out, you stick out. Um, so that's been my experience in relation to that. Um, and I read something that said, um, that uh, for women, our comfort our competence is much higher than our confidence, and I think that that does ring true because. I mean, look at, look at us. We're all doing great things. Um, not to say that we're, you know, um, we should, we should be supporting each other. We're exceptional women. We're doing really well within our fields. Um, and I feel like sometimes we just feel like we don't have that, that, that confidence that that stems from um, imposter syndrome. And just to end off on, on what I've been saying in relation to, to women. um there's a quote that I read a while back that has always resonated with me. And that says to be a successful woman. You have to break through the, gra- the glass ceiling, but you also have to address the sticky floor. So you need to ask yourself, you know, um, what's holding you back? You know, when do you experience the most self-doubt and why? Um, what are your triggers? And then being reflective, addressing it and just making sure that you have that supportive network that we discussed before. Um, so, yeah, I just thought I'd just add that little tidbit in, in relation to, you know, the fact that it does affect women and minority ethnic women more. Um, and I'll pass back to Marseille
1: thanks very much Breen um so one topic I think that's prevalent at the moment is the impact of lockdown and working from home on imposter syndrome so we have touched on it a little bit um in in terms of you know people who've done their traineeships I mean I personally did 18 months of my traineeship working from home uh, as did a bunch of other um, trainees around the country, so it uh, definitely had its tricky points. um I mean, the pandemic has had a lasting effect on all of us, on everyone. Um, we've been robbed of the opportunity for learning by osmosis, as we would in the office, just be you know overhearing people's conversations on the phone and reassurance and bumping into other people of your level in the kitchen being able to have a matter about things that you're struggling with and um, so it has completely altered our day-to-day interactions uh, so many young lawyers have entered the profession in isolation without that support um, and it's undoubtedly had a negative effect on imposter syndrome within junior members of the profession when you've got no benchmark to place yourself against in the real world everything's virtual it is a real struggle so I feel like we're probably all in the same boat with this Um, and we do have some top tips for people who are in that position so um, acknowledge and critically analyse the voice in your head with those self-doubts and um, try to look at it impartially as someone else would I mean Kiara mentioned that if you don't have confidence in yourself you know rely on the confidence that others have in you um don't try to compare yourself to others I know when I started as a trainee you used see, or even at university as well you see all these people around you and you think oh I'm definitely the bottom of the heap here um but it's never the case um and share your feelings with friends and your mentors uh, recognize that others have experienced imposter syndrome and that there is always someone there to help you um, and celebrate your wins as well so if you've done something well then you know celebrate it and take pride in it and um, don't dwell on mistakes you've made learn from them take them on the shin but don't think that they define you or that They're always going to be a representation of your ability. Um, So we're just we're going to wrap up there. I think. Um, So thank you everyone for listening, and thank you obviously to our committee who have contributed to this podcast today. It's been invaluable to hear your opinions and thoughts on imposter syndrome. Um, There will be a section on our website soon on mental health relating to this series that you'll be able to access. we also intend to have a and a on Instagram for suggested topics. So what's on your mind? How can we help? Because that will help steer our podcasts going forward. Uh, so we'll be able to discuss topics that you want to hear about. Um, and fundamentally, try to remember that no one's alone. Imposter syndrome affects everyone, including the likes of Lady Hale, as Leila mentioned earlier, uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Serena Williams, you know, There's some very iconic figures there. So I think we're probably in quite good company. But yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you.